Short Rounds. Hey y'all, and welcome back to the Unknown Soldiers Podcast. I am your host, James Hauser, here with a short round for those of you that missed them. For my newer listeners who don't know what these are, these are episodes that run about 30 minutes or so, just a shorter episode. And when I do series, I often do short rounds as a supplement, just to talk about stuff that doesn't really fit into the main episodes. So today's short round is a part of the larger Paraguayan War series, why I'm calling it Paraguayan War Part 3.5. It will not make a lot of sense outside of that series, so I recommend you listen to this in sequence, as implied by the numbers. So listen to this after Paraguayan War Part 3, The Funnel of Death. Got it? Moving on. Anyway, this short round concerns a campaign that has been going on off-screen for the last two parts of the Paraguayan War series. This is the Mato Grosso campaign of 1865 to 1867, Brazil's attempt to recapture the territory Paraguay seized at the start of the Paraguayan War. And this was a miserable failure of a campaign that was horrible in every way, so of course it became an epic story in Brazilian literature and memory, immortalized as the retreat from Laguna. And this short round doubles as a fun reunion with our old friend, the Iron Hand of Logistics. If you looked at a map of South America at any point throughout this series, you might be wondering, James, Brazil and Paraguay are right next to each other. Why don't they just invade Paraguay at any other point on the border besides the river? Like, why don't they just swallow them up in a quick war? Why don't they just glom their armies right across every inch of the border? (laughs) This is why. This episode is why. Because the Iron Hand of Logistics is very unforgiving in the interior of South America. And the Iron Hand has never been crueler than it was to the Mato Grosso expedition. So let's follow a couple thousand very unlucky Brazilian soldiers into the vast wilderness of South America. Guys, telling you right now, this is one of the most cursed military operations of all time. As always, this is not just history, but military history, so there's some dark and bloody stuff going on. This podcast is PG-13, the language is clean, the content is not. All my sources are on my website, unknownsoldierspodcast.com, so if you want to fact-check me, there they are. Finally, any errors, mispronunciations, or mistakes are my own. I'm trying to be entertaining, but all the information I'm giving you is accurate to the best of my knowledge. This was a real story with real people who don't deserve to be unknown soldiers. The origins of the Mato Grosso campaign lie all the way back in part one of our series, when Francisco Solano Lopez went to war with the Empire of Brazil. If you'll recall, the first campaign of the Paraguayan War took place in December 1864. Lopez sent his forces up the Paraguay River to conquer the Brazilian province of Mato Grosso. They quickly defeated the small garrisons in the south, but local Brazilian forces still held the northern portion, including the provincial capital of Cuiaba. But without access to the Paraguay River, these guys were basically cut off from the rest of Brazil. So Brazil starts preparing for war, and they are mainly preparing to go fight Paraguay along the rivers of destiny. You know, the La Plata region where all the main action of this war has taken place. But some Brazilian government officials were like, hey... Paraguay just conquered a big chunk of our territory. This is an insult to national honor. We need to take it back. But they couldn't recapture the province by river. They couldn't send forces up the river. They had a little problem called Humaita in the way, that big Paraguayan fortress. So someone had the bright idea to send an expedition to reconquer Mato Grosso and send it overland. 
Everyone was like, oh, that's genius. That's amazing. Let's do that. So in early 1865, the Brazilian government started organizing an expedition to march across Brazil and take Mato Grosso back. Some people heard about this expedition and decided to volunteer. One of them was 22-year-old Lieutenant Alfredo Descranola Talne, a young army engineer who had just graduated from the military academy. Talne was a young aristocrat, extremely cultured and educated, clearly with a bright future ahead of him if he survived Mato Grosso. All Talne's friends were heading south to join General Osorio's army for the big fight against Lopez's main forces, but he heard about this other campaign that sounded like a happy nature walk where nothing bad was going to happen. So Lieutenant Talne got his dad, the famous French-born artist Felix Talne, to pull some strings for him. So Dom Pedro II put the young officer on the staff of the Mato Grosso expedition. This would turn out very bad for Talne, but very good for future historians, because his account of the expedition, A Retirada da Laguna, or Retreat from Laguna, became a classic of Brazilian literature and our main source for this campaign. He was the expedition's chronicler. Now, if you know your ancient history, you know of another famous retreat, with an army trying to fight its way out of enemy territory, and an officer with that army whose account of the retreat became a literary classic. This is Xenophon and the 10,000 Greek mercenaries who fought their way out of Persia. Xenophon's account of that legendary retreat, called the Anabasis of the 10,000, became one of the classics of ancient Greek literature. Lieutenant Talnay would become Brazil's version of Xenophon. The Mato Grosso expedition was assigned to Colonel Manuel Pedro Drago, the former chief of police of Rio de Janeiro. They left Sao Paulo on April 10, 1865 with 568 men, beginning their long journey into Brazil's mysterious interior. The vast majority of these men would not survive. So let's talk about why this whole thing was a really bad idea in concept, like from the start. And I'm going to use my old model of the iron hand of logistics. I think of the iron hand as consisting of four fingers, distance, time, conditions, and capacity, and a thumb, the enemy, that work together to choke any army that tries to ignore their impact on logistics. If you want a much more detailed description of this, go check out episode 33, The Iron Hand of Logistics, where I basically lay out this theory with many historical examples. So together, these factors, distance, conditions, time, and capacity, plus the enemy, represent the limits on a military's ability to maintain and supply itself while on campaign. And ignorance of these factors is pretty widespread. People without experience or education or know-how just don't understand how difficult logistics are, especially in remote parts of the world without a lot of infrastructure and with pre-industrial age technology, like no helicopter is going to come rescue these guys. Folks just don't get it. But even a cursory iron hand of logistics analysis will show us what a horrible idea this campaign was. First, even within Brazilian territory, the distances the expedition would have to cross were enormous. Brazil is larger than the 48 continental United States. And in 1865, the state of Mato Grosso was larger than Texas. Mato Grosso literally means great jungle or great bush. It's just wilderness. It was 800 miles just to climb the Mato Grosso Plateau before the campaign even began. There was a saying 
in Portuguese. Deus e grande, mas o moto e ainda maior. That means God is great, but the motto is greater still. And crossing the di this distance would take time. Time that would not only wear out men and horses and equipment, but give the Paraguayans plenty of time to learn that the expedition was on its way. And because Paraguay could move their armies along the river that was denied to the Brazilians, they would be able to react very quickly whenever the Brazilians popped up. Then there were the conditions. The terrain the expedition would have to cross was some of the worst terrain in South America. Enormous trackless forests, sun-baked plateaus, rivers that flooded constantly, dense jungle, and everything's full of snakes and spiders and alligators and piranha fish, mountains and valleys, and jungle, jungle, jungle. Lots of it was just one big swamp. This sucks. This is miserable. And these conditions cause disease. In the 21st century, with our vaccines and antibiotics and hand sanitizer, it's easy to forget just how deadly and widespread disease was back then. In most wars before the modern day, disease killed many more people than combat. And tropical conditions are famous for the potency and lethality of their many colorful diseases. Disease also factors into the Iron Hand of logistics. It's not just killing your men. It's killing your animals, the animals, the horses and oxen you depend on to carry your supplies. And they usually die much quicker than the humans do. Finally, there was capacity. The Mato Grosso expedition could not be resupplied about 100 miles past its start point, And they're traveling 800 miles. That's not a great plan. They would have to forage and just gather food along the way to just even get anywhere. Lots of armies survive on foraging as they go from the landscape. That's not uncommon in history. But to do that, you have to be in a landscape with a capacity to support you. Mato Grosso didn't. It was still mostly barren, unsettled wilderness for 800 miles. And of course, you get past all that, and then you have to deal with the enemy, the Paraguayans. And as it turned out, of course, the Brazilians would be in deep trouble long before their first encounter with the enemy. Any military force moving into the South American interior faced these issues. Supply capacity this restricted, conditions this severe, and the unalterable problems of time and distance could only be overcome by the railroad, the automobile, the airplane. But there were only a couple of railroads in South America in 1865, none of which went far into the interior. Given these limitations, the only way for an army to be supported upcountry was by river. Steamboat transport could carry tons of supplies faster and farther and safer than any other means of transport, overcoming the problems of capacity and distance and time and avoiding those horrible conditions. This was why the Paraguayan War was a river war, why the Rio de la Plata and the rivers that fed it, the Paraguay, the Piranha, and the Uruguay rivers, were the main theater of conflict. This was why the Allies couldn't just bypass Humaita, why Lopez fought so hard to defend it. It was the clamp on the Paraguay River, preventing the Allies from moving north deeper into Paraguayan territory, and preventing the Brazilians from reconquering Mato Grosso by river. The rivers determined the entire strategy of this war. They were the only way an army could escape the iron hand of logistics in the South American interior. There's only one campaign in this war that doesn't rely on the rivers, and it's this one, so let's see how this goes. See, everyone seemed to understand this river thing 
except the Knuckle Dragon bureaucrats down in Rio de Janeiro. The Mato Grosso expedition seemed like a great idea on paper. Bro, it's easy, bro. Just march a military unit over a thousand miles of the worst terrain in South America with no resupply and reconquer a region the size of Texas from a very dangerous enemy. Just reconquer Mato Grosso, bro. It's easy, bro. So let's see how this went. The expedition left Sao Paulo on April 10th, 1865. Its commander, Colonel Manuel Pedro Drago, turned out to be a bad choice. He was lazy, neglectful, and generally just not a guy who should have been in charge of anything. He marched the expedition all of five days before they reached the town of Campinas, where they sat for two months as their commander drank and partied and chased women. Guy's gotta shoot his shot, I guess, but maybe not when you're in charge of a super important expedition, right? Talnay had a great time. He loved the feasts and the parties in Campinas. For a 22-year-old brand new army officer, it was a blast. He called it, One of my happiest and most diverting experiences, with its long succession of dinners, parties, picnics, fates, and dances, one after another, without leaving us a moment of rest. Ah, uh, this is the life. It's going to be like this the whole time, right? Colonel Drago's big problem, besides, you know, his own libido, was scrounging up enough supplies for his force. Getting horses and carts and money and medicine from the central government was like pulling teeth. They basically sent this expedition off and then just forgot about it, <laughs> forgot to support it. Then a smallpox epidemic broke out. That's going to be a problem later. The, the expedition finally left Campinas on June 20th, 1865, but as they were leaving, a shooting star passed over the column. According to Talnay, all the Brazilian soldiers were like, oh, that's a bad omen. We're screwed, boys. Yeah, it's going great, guys. Everything's going great. The expedition reached the town of Uberaba on July 18th. This is their launch point, where they were going to gather new recruits and prepare for the march into Mato Grosso. Tolnay observed that they had taken four months to travel about 280 miles, and they were still in, like, the relatively settled areas of Brazil. This didn't bode well for the, oh, 800 miles they still had to go. And disease was already a problem. Smallpox and malaria were bad enough, but the horses were starting to suffer from something called beriberi. Equine beriberi was always a big problem in South America. There are certain plants that grow in the South American uplands, like bracken or horsetail, that cause thiamine deficiencies. This leads to beriberi, a disease that basically just drains you and kills you over its period of days. Which means if you don't know how to look out for this, if you don't know how to stop your horses from eating these plants your horses start dying fast. The Paraguayan War saw hideous losses of horses on both sides of the conflict, because soldiers who didn't have the experience didn't know not to let their animals eat this stuff. These are the little things, like, you know, not letting your horses eat the wrong plants, that cause you to run afoul of the iron hand of logistics. The Mato Grosso Expeditionary Force left Uberaba on September 4th, 1865, with around 2,500 men and also over 200 women, wives and girlfriends of the soldiers, you know, camp followers, some of whom brought their children. Great! This was the grand army that would reconquer Mato Grosso province, an area the size of Texas. They had gone about five steps before Colonel Drago's man-whoring finally caught up with him, like some people back in Rio finally heard about his misbehavior, and he was relieved of command. His replacement was Colonel Antonio da Fonseca Galvao. Don't get attached to this guy. 
So began the march into Mato Grosso, a trail of absolute incomprehensible misery. The terrain was a massive stretch of open plateaus broken by dense jungles and massive floodplains and one piranha-filled river after another. Enormous anacondas hung from trees and crocodiles stalked the swamps and the humidity had every soldier gasping for air. The fetid floodwaters gave them rancid diarrhea and soon there was a cholera epidemic and their rations ran out halfway through the march. Soon the men, women, and children were eating literally anything they could find, and some got sick from eating the wrong roots or unripe fruit. Or bad meat. <laughs> and disease racked the column, especially malaria from the unending swarms of mosquitoes. Hey, Lieutenant Tolne, is this still a party? Is this still a fun nature walk? The march was an unending agony. Days, then weeks, then months went by as the column ascended the giant Mato Grosso Plateau. They somehow found enough food to cover the 500 miles to the town of Kolshim, which they reached in December 1865. They had to rest here for over seven months because they were so exhausted and malnourished like they were still trying to gather enough food just for the next leg of the journey, before continuing for another 300 miles down to the town of Miranda. The enormous swamplands of the Rio Negro were rampant with disease, and men dropped like flies. The enormous distances and miserable conditions of this march were killing hundreds of soldiers and wearing out the rest before they even saw the enemy. And there was no one around to help. There were three kinds of people who lived out here in Mato Grosso. There were the normal Brazilian settlers who had run off in refugee trains long ago. There were the Sertanejos, the backwoodsmen of the high forests, who hated the government and pretty much didn't help except for a couple of guides. Then there were the local Indians, the Terena and Guaycaru peoples, who were usually hostile to both Brazil and Paraguay. None of these people were super thrilled to see this starving, disease-ridden zombie horde putzing its way through their backyard. But word traveled fast, even in the Mato Grosso, and pretty soon the Paraguayans were clocking the expedition's approach. This is where that time thing started to be a big problem. The months it took to march to Mato Grosso robbed the expedition of any element of surprise and gave the Paraguayans plenty of time to prepare. Lopez's scouts had their eyes on this expedition. Because by now, the expedition was passing through areas that the Paraguayans had occupied earlier in the war. There were Paraguayan forces in the area, but they didn't even try to fight the Brazilian expedition. They just retreated and destroyed everything behind them. They burned the towns, destroyed the crops, and carried off all the livestock while they retreated south. This was a scorched-earth campaign intended to remove any food from the expedition's path, leaving nothing for the Brazilians to forage. The Brazilians hadn't even seen a single Paraguayan soldier yet, and the enemy was already helping the iron hand of logistics tighten its grip. Because the enemy always gets a vote. Finally, in September 1866... The expedition reached the town of Miranda, which the Paraguayans had destroyed. <laughs> Guys, they have been out here for a year now. A year of starvation, disease, crappy sleep, bugs, mosquitoes, marching, marching, marching over 800 miles. The Brazilians pitched their tents in the burnt-out ruins and waited for orders. They had no food, which brought hunger. Hunger brought disease. Disease brought suffering and death. Colonel Galval had died of disease on the way to Miranda. Told you not to get attached to that guy. So the new new commander was Colonel Carlos de Moraes Camichao, a balding, dark-eyed veteran in his 40s. 
He had been in charge of some units during Solano Lopez's invasion of Mato Grosso, and ended up taking a lot of the blame for the Paraguayan conquest. And so he had sort of a chip on his shoulder. Talnay believed that Camichal felt like he had to absolve himself of the dishonor of the defeat. So reconquering the province was no longer good enough. Camichal wanted to lead his starving, exhausted men south on an invasion of northern Paraguay. He planned to march all the way to the Paraguay River and capture the major town of Concepcion. This was dramatic mission creep, a stupid decision in an already stupid campaign, but there was no one around to tell him no. I guess we're going to invade Paraguay now. Camichal led the column south from Miranda on January 11, 1867, with 1,600 men, along with a few Indians he had recruited and the miserable camp followers, the women and children who somehow still trailed the column. Besides their rifles, the only weapons the column had were four ox-strong Lahite cannons. They had lost a third of their number on the way here, and the survivors were malnourished and almost all crippled from disease and injuries. They had very little food, very little medicine, no cavalry because all the horses had died, and now they were about to invade Paraguay. The Mato Grosso expedition crossed the Apa River in the first week of March 1867, and now they were in enemy territory. 1,600 men and four cannons trailed by the camp followers. For Talnay and the men who had originally set out from Sao Paulo, they had taken 22 months to finally get across the Paraguayan border. And this is why the Brazilians couldn't just invade anywhere they wanted to in the Paraguayan border. It took them 22 months to get here, this small force. And the Paraguayans knew they were coming. They even knew that Colonel Camichal was bald. Just across the border at Bella Vista, the Brazilians found a note nailed to a tree. Advance, baldy, fool of a general who comes in search of his sepulchre. The Brazilians think to be in Concepcion before the holidays, but our men are waiting for them with bayonets and lead. By this point, the column was falling apart. A solid two years of malnutrition and every disease under the sun will do that to you. Camichal received reports of large cattle herds at a local ranch called Laguna, supposedly owned by Solano Lopez himself. So the haggard, miserable expedition set out, hoping to find something to fill their empty bellies. Let's get some beef. Let's go. On May 1st, 1867, the expedition arrived at Laguna, which was burned to the ground with not a single cow in sight. Some foraging parties did eventually round up something like 50 cattle, which were slaughtered immediately and consumed like nobody's ever eaten anything before. But their celebration was short-lived because on May 6th, they ran into the Paraguayan army. Solano Lopez had been tracking the Brazilian expedition this whole time, and when Camichal crossed the border, he sent a few battalions upriver from Humaita. Hey, go, t- go, go take care of that. It took them a few weeks to make this trip, while, you know, it had taken the Brazilians about two years. Major Martin Urbieta had 780 men on the scene, and they ran into the Brazilians at Bayende, the only serious battle of the campaign. The Paraguayans weren't in great shape when they arrived, they were the Paraguayans, but they were definitely doing better than the expedition. The battle was short and unpleasant. (laughs) Camichal launched a bayonet charge, which briefly broke the Paraguayan lines. It's astonishing that these guys could fight at all after two years of marching through the jungle. But after an hour of fighting, the Paraguayan cavalry charged into the Brazilian rear. The Brazilians had no cavalry, 
All their horses had died on the way here, so they had no way to compete with the mobility and speed of the Paraguayan horsemen. Seeing his units wavering, Camichal ordered the column to retreat from Laguna. The Paraguayans pursued. Major Urbieta's cavalry chased the expedition, ambushing them, cutting off and killing stragglers. The expedition, starving, staggering, nearly broken from their experiences, barely managed to get back across the Apa River on May 10th. They had been cut to pieces in several battles with the Paraguayan cavalry. It had taken them two years to get to Paraguay, and after two months they had been driven back out. All that was left now was to escape. Starving, shaking with fever, shitting themselves bloody, clutching their muskets and dragging their cannons, the Mato Grosso expedition retraced their steps into the vast, yawning wilderness. This was the final stretch of their journey, the retreat from Laguna. This last month was a walk through hell. The Paraguayan cavalry harassed the column the entire way. They set fires in the Brazilians' path, stole whatever cattle and horses they could find, and executed anyone who managed to escape. The sky was red and black, and just this darkness and fire consuming the column as they tried desperately to escape the Paraguayan cavalry. The column disintegrated, with men falling sick from cholera, felled by Paraguayan muskets, or just too weak to go on. The wives and girlfriends fell too, along with their children, one by one. At one point, Camichal had no choice but to abandon 130 cholera patients, just to help the column move faster. The Paraguayans killed them all on the spot. Any of the camp followers the Paraguayans got their hands on, well, let's not think about that. Camichal died of cholera. So did his second-in-command. So did the chief engineer, Lieutenant Talnay's boss. It fell to Talnay and a handful of junior officers to lead the remnants of the expedition on. They ate green oranges and muddy roots they clawed from the earth. Their uniforms were rags, crap streamed freely down their legs, leeches hung like decorations from their bodies, and they swarmed with mosquitoes and lice. They left a trail of dead comrades behind them, but somehow, somehow, the survivors kept moving, even a few of the women who had kept themselves and their children alive through everything. On June 11, 1867, 26 months after the expedition had left Sao Paulo, they reached safety at Canuto on the Akidoana River. The survivors received food from nearby settlements, washed themselves in the waters, and stared dead-eyed at the bleak landscape they had just escaped. The retreat from Laguna was over. Of the 2,500 men who had entered Mato Grosso, only 700, and a handful of women and children, lived to tell the tale. It's crazy that anyone survived the two years and almost 1,400 miles the expedition had endured. The crazy thing was that they never lost military discipline. This was proven by the fact that somehow, incredibly, they did not lose a single color, a single battle standard to the enemy, and they dragged all four of their artillery pieces back from Laguna. They had survived one of the worst ordeals in the history of Latin America without losing a color or a gun. Still, the Brazilian attempt to reconquer Mato Grosso was a disaster. It never stood a chance. The iron hand of logistics ruined the expedition before it even got close to Paraguayan territory. It was badly planned, badly supported, none of its leaders was worth a damn, and three quarters of its men died. It was a dismal failure. The overall concept was bad from the start. It ran the gamut of the iron hand of logistics. 
The expedition had to march a distance of 800 miles in horrible conditions with no resupply capacity before it even got close to a dangerous enemy who had plenty of time to react. It was never feasible to march this army overland and have them arrive in any condition to conduct military operations. It is insane that they even survived the march to Laguna, let alone the retreat. What can we learn from this campaign? What looks like an easy march on paper probably isn't. Disease and malnutrition will wreck an army long before the enemy does. You should make military decisions based on what can be done and not what you want to be done. Finally, the enemy always gets a vote. Nothing you're doing takes place in a vacuum. The Paraguayan scorched earth tactics, followed by their rapid response to the Brazilian threat, were more than enough to end any threat the expedition posed. The Mato Grosso expedition was the only major strategic innovation the Allies attempted throughout the war. Other than this, they focused on fighting their way up the Paraguay River and capturing Humaita. Yes, that was a funnel of death with no end in sight. But the alternative was this, the retreat from Laguna. This is what happens when you tried to cross South America over land. The rivers were the only viable logistic options for fighting the Paraguayan War. You can't invade Paraguay overland, you have to go up the river, and that means capturing Humaita. And after all that, the retreat from Laguna became a Brazilian epic. Lieutenant Talnay was given the task of bringing the news back to Rio de Janeiro. Like Aristodemus, the Spartans sent from Thermopylae to bring the news back of their sacrifice. He brought the story back to Brazil of the expedition's sacrifice, the incredible suffering and their incredible courage. And he immortalized his comrades in A Retirada da Laguna, the retreat from Laguna, one of the classics of Brazilian literature. Talnay worked his experience into his later novels, like Innocencia, and he became one of the great authors of the Brazilian canon. Talnay's efforts turned the retreat from Laguna into a Brazilian odyssey, and his fellow volunteers into Latin American's version of Xenophon's 10,000. The retreat became storied in myth and memory, much like the flight of the Nez Perce, or Napoleon's retreat from Moscow, or Mao's long march. There is a massive monument in Rio today to the Laguna survivors, who crossed half a continent and came out with their honor intact. The sheer lunacy and stupidity of the whole venture became obscured by the undeniable heroism of those who survived it. They were acclaimed as soldiers of constancy and valor. You might say, even, that the sacrifice justified the cause. But I imagine that quote haunted the survivors to the end of their days. God is great, but the motto is greater still. Thanks a bunch for listening today. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about it. If you don't, tell your enemies. Check my website at unknownsoldierspodcast.com for all today's sources and maps, including a map of the Mato Grosso campaign. But remember that it looks a lot easier on paper than it was in real life. All those blue and red arrows don't show you how many of those men were dying of cholera. But still, the maps will probably help. I'm always available on Facebook or on Twitter at UNK Soldiers Pod. Easier to find me on Facebook given how Twitter is lately. You can even email me at unknownsoldierspodcast at gmail.com. I always appreciate feedback and commentary, even if it's just kind words. I'm not perfect, so you've got advice. I'd love to hear it. And don't forget to tune in in a few weeks for the Paraguayan War Part 4, Gibraltar of the South. 
where we're going to finally deal with that little bitty problem called the Fortress of Fumaita. See you then, only here, on Unknown Soldiers. <laughs>